Welcome back to the latest episode of The Huddle. I'm Mark Ross, and this week we're going to explore the departure of the Trump administration as well as the incoming Biden administration. And this was a hell of a week on Capitol Hill, one of the most historic events that face this American republic. Normally at this time of year, we'd be celebrating getting ready for the inauguration, a day when many Americans gather together on Capitol Hill to celebrate the beauty of the Constitution and democracy. But this week, we saw something totally different. A riotous mob took over Capitol Hill, and democracy is at an all-time low here in the nation's capital. This is The Huddle, and this week I'm joined once again by our stellar producer and political strategist, Brendan Konacki. Brendan, what do you think happened? What are your thoughts? What is going on in America? You know, Mark, you, you alluded to this a little bit, that this is normally a time when in, in, an, in another time, in another universe, the Biden team would be out there ironing their bunting, getting ready for the inauguration. Capitol Hill is kind of in shambles right now, and I'm not making light of it. This is, uh, this is a, a dark time that we've seen this week. How big of a distraction do you think this is going to be for the incoming Biden team to try and set their agenda while being dogged by what was an actual invasion on the seat of government. I think this is one of the biggest challenges to face a president in decades. I mean, certainly 9-11 happened a few months, nine months into the uh, Bush administration, but to start out your administration in this age of hyperpolitics, dissension, conspiracies, a pandemic, the economic numbers that came out this week are pretty dreadful. It is a full-on major situation, and Biden is putting together his team. I think the only blessing is that Team Biden is really made up of people who've worked in government before, have got a better sense of what to do, understand the wheels of government, and can probably hit the ground running, but I don't really envy the position they're in at all. I thought this was almost going to be like a second Christmas for them. Both Senate seats in Georgia tilt to the Democrats, that this looked like it was going to be um, an opportunity for the Biden team. And then one day later, we, uh, we saw a real shadow fall over um, this start of things. You know, we know history-wise, this is the first time that the U.S. Capitol has been under siege since the War of 1812. How do we, as, um, as a society, as the nation's capital, how do we bounce back from this? Well, this has unfortunately been a big week for the War of 1812. I, as you probably know, I'm an amateur historian of the War of 1812. Major General Robert Ross of the British Redcoats was the lead general who helped storm the Capitol. But this level of dissension, this level of invasion, you know, we've got people that have died, we have injuries. Uh, you know, I think we're only opening days from the situation. Frankly, as more and more news comes out, it is becoming grimmer and grimmer by the day. You know, frankly, as I was talking to you earlier, I'm in a bit of shock, you know, really processing this. It's really hard to fathom especially, you know, both of us have spent so much time on Capitol Hill and for various functions, working for elected officials. This level of lawlessness, this level of disrespect for the citadel of democracy, frankly, it's unspeakable. Uh, I'm in shock. I think it's, it's going to take a lot of time for uh, people like you and I, people who've been in the district for a lot of years, people who've spent a lot of their careers in the Capitol building uh, to fully process this. I'm still coming to terms with every new image I see and, and trying just to, to figure out how to 
how to process this, but I know you've got a couple of guests that you want to uh, speak with today to help bring some context to, uh, to, to the situation we, we've seen this week. Yeah, no, we're fortunate this week to have two experts that really have worked on the front lines of negotiation as well as crisis communications. And I think it's really important because there are multiple stakeholders in this environment. I mean, obviously a lot of us are looking towards the US government, to the new Biden administration to kind of move us forward. But other individuals, especially I think corporations, businesses are really gonna be at the forefront of helping us move forward. So to get their insights, it's gonna be really important. First up joining us is Chip Massey. He's a former special agent for the FBI who specialized as a hostage negotiator. He's worked in both the DC and New York City field offices. He's seen some tense moments, no doubt, in his career, and he's going to give us some insights on what might have been happening on Capitol Hill this week, not only from a rioter's perspective, but also from police enforcement, as well as U.S. government agencies. Chip, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Thank you. Chip, thanks for making the time. Obviously, a pretty historic week in the, uh, the nation's capital. Um, what are your first impressions? What, what should we be thinking yeah. as uh, citizens? Right. Well, here's the thing is that, you know, we, they, they've said that this could have been foreshadowed, that all of this, you know, we, we should have had all the warnings were there. We should have had a plan and so forth. Well, hindsight, right? I, I mean, I, I've, like you, I've been reading about it and trying to piece together the, the timeline of events and, and what's happened. But here's the thing. And it kind of breaks down the, the way uh, I see it in terms of like a hostage negotiation uh, one-on-one. Uh, to, you know, one group, one faction at a time. And we need to have a better understanding of who these groups are. You know, we need, people need to be heard. That's one of the things you learn about in hostage negotiation. And you certainly have used this in your world, Mark, is, is that people need to have an outlet. They need to feel like their voice matters, that, that the people in power that make the decisions are listening to them and are truly you know, engaged in what their lives are like. Absent that, you know, you have people go to their corners. You have factions that are operating in the dark. You have these, these, you know, outlier groups that rise up and then people are drawn to that. Chip, as we look at the events on Capitol Hill and uh, we've all been in those spaces and you think about how cramped and small some parts of the U.S. Capitol are and, you know, you're seeing thousands of people storm in what is the thinking of the uh, police force? Do you want to help negotiate or reduce the tension immediately in front of you? Are you working as a team to negotiate the bigger event? Is it a step-by-step process? When people are literally storming the gates, it's, it's too late for negotiation, right? It's, it's, it's beyond the, the ability to reason. So now what you're doing is you're trying to limit harm uh, from the individual's president and for, for, and for your safety as well. So yeah, you have to now manage the situation that is right in front of you. And you have to meet that with an escalation of what's being given to subdue the threat. That's all you're trying to do is subdue the threat. Now, it seemed like there, there, was, there was not a lot of cohesion um, as to how to handle the threat that was thrust upon them. I, we saw different various degrees of force being utilized. We saw some that had zero support, certainly from the footage we saw that they were forced to run away Right. From, from the attackers. Um, I received a lot of messages from around the world from friends and contacts, and they were kind of surprised that, A, the Capitol could be you know, stormed in such a way. But I don't think most people fully realize how accessible the U.S. Capitol is and mm-hmm. just the grounds and the plaza. 
And the decision-making between, is it the people's house making it accessible? Obviously, you know, you want to build a wall around the Capitol, which we see now. Um, balancing that, you know, the friction between protection and political speech must be a huge challenge for various government agencies. Oh, it's, it, it has to be, you know, and, and certainly in changing context too, right? You have people that are in position of securing that, that real estate and you have differing voices telling them what their priorities are. I, you know, I, I know all this is going to shake out as investigations happen and so forth. And we're, you know, uh, very so, so close to this right now in, in terms of the newness of it. But, you know, we're going to see things like, you know, uh, their, their decision matrix, their, uh, what was their, their commands given prior to this event? What were they instructed to do not to do? All these things are, are, are certainly going to play a part of, of how all this comes to light. And also the patchwork of D.C., obviously, um, D.C. being a federal property and the Capitol Hill Police Force has their own jurisdiction. You know, the, the Speaker and the House Administrative Committee is in charge of maintaining the security of the Capitol. Do you, is this a 9-11, not in the sense of obviously the catastrophe around that, but is this a whole government failure? I'm wondering about the cohesiveness in this time frame. You know, certainly that, you know, the, the person at the top was using very inflammatory language, right? Um, that, you know, it is almost given permission for, for various factions to push into the, this, the territory that they found themselves in. You know, one of the things that were struck me when I was seeing the footage, Mark, was that when the people were breaching uh, the doorways, what I saw in their faces was one at kind of like, what do I do now? You know, <laughs> right. now I'm here. It's almost like there was, there's, and that told me there was no plan. There was no, nothing there that except, you know, just go into the Capitol and take it. I'm not sure what that means. And I'm, and I'm sure that's not uh, what most of the people there were for. Right. It, it, it see, and I bet we're going to find out that there were a lot of white supremacist groups mixed in. A lot of the, the violent militant uh, were a part of that, um, that, you know, join in with, with these kind of things and want these kind of things to happen. Right. They want to foment um, this kind of disintegration. There needs to be a, a plan in place, regardless of who's in power, regardless right. Of, of right of of we we have an, a we have a duty to protect the public. We have a duty to protect you know, the, the, the decision makers of this that, and the, the, the Capitol, any kind of public building where, where our lawmakers are, are gathered, where the, the decision makers are. When I hear negotiator, you know, hostage negotiation, mm -hmm. I think of very contained kind of one-on-one -on -one situation and some of the corporate work you do now, helping advise clients on how to sort out or maybe get an advantage in negotiation. You know, that it's a limited number of players, but as you talked about, these various factions, which I'm a huge fan of James Madison, the use of factions, you know, you got multiple groups, multiple stakeholders, multiple layers of government. I mean, this is like a really a toxic stew that we, you know, it, it, clearly we weren't prepared for. It wasn't as limited as maybe we would have liked. So is that, you know, how, are, where do we go from here in terms of understanding this event? I think what we, we need to do, and certainly the, the Biden administration is, is going to be involved with, no doubt, is talking and allowing people to have a dialogue uh, about about this see that's what to me that's classic negotiations is classic de-escalation and that's really what we're talking about here right mark is how do you de-escalate a group that is at a level 10 in terms of we're storming the capital that's what we're planning today to hey why don't we 
shouldn't we have a dialogue with with the decision makers? Shouldn't we, you know, maybe, you know, have a line of communication open to the, to someone in the Biden administration? That's really what needs to happen, right? One of the most dramatic photos this week from Capitol Hill was the photo of guns being drawn as intruders tried to enter the House chamber. What would have been the thinking by the police force here during that moment? So when you're de-escalating somebody, some of the key tenets of de-escalation are, you know, you, you have to acknowledge another person's feelings, right? It's so important when people have felt isolated that they feel heard. So, so one way of doing that is like, and you've seen the, the people on the news, you know, they are, you know, all in on this. They feel that their country has been stolen from, the election has been stolen. They feel disenfranchised, marginalized. Well, how do you, how do you bring people back to the center of this? Well, you listen, right? You, you ask them the, the good penetrating questions. But more than that, you know, you acknowledge the emotion that's present because people don't storm a capital because it's logical, right? Nobody's doing that on logic. They're doing it based on an emotion. And if you touch into that emotion, you say, you know, you, you sound like you really feel, you know, marginalized here. You feel maybe disenfranchised. You, you tie into that, allow them to talk about that. And you show that value, you validate their concerns, their worries, right? And you begin to open up that uh, element. And so many good things will happen. Their, their level of anxiety, of confusion, of just that tunnel vision, Mark, right? right. That we all know it exists. All that comes down. And that's when, when they're able to bring it down to like, say, a, from a 10 to a five level, say. That's that gray area where they can actually listen and understand. I'm guessing there was a small percentage they thought this could happen. And then it just became a little mob situation where there was fomenting and it just, people just got crazy. Yeah. I, you know, in, in the reports that I've read, just like everybody else, you know, I, I see the, it, it sounds like uh, that the, the group, the larger group in place was listening. They were, you know, the audience there for, for the very speakers. I, I think they called Save America. Um, and then after it was uh, concluded by the president um, who said, you know, meet you at the Capitol um, and said some inflammatory statements, they were joined at some point by a very uh, heavily, um, what, what they what we would call a militarized group, right? That they were almost paramilitary group. Militia, yeah, in, for sure. Right, right, to join them. And they had an agenda. Right. Their agenda was they're going to go in. Right. Right, that they were going to, to wreak havoc. Interesting. So I think in all this, again, will we'll be sussed out as, as time goes by. But again, you when that mob mentality takes over, Mark, and then people are kind of pushed in to the sea that's moving toward this event. And all of that is, they're all caught up in it. And that's a different animal. Any word that there were foreign elements part of this uh, mob? I mean, and obviously, you know, our opponents in China, Turkey, they're making hay of this. I think anytime we have a national event like this, a catastrophic uh, event that, that happens that showcases um, our inability to protect our public, um, uh, a, uh, the, the idea of that, that 
there's larger groups that exist perhaps that want to take down the, the powers that be. Um, anytime that's on display, it causes unease. And it causes certainly our enemies that, that you just highlighted to, to mock us and to take us down and to say, who are we you know, to talk about destabilization issues within their country when we have our, our own? And certainly that's the case. How should smart, intelligent people at the top listen to their advisors? The older leadership of the Senate used to say, you know, we used to be able to talk to each other, <laughs> right? Gone is that day, it seems like. Um, but it needs to come back. We, we have to let go of these old trappings of, you know, well, they belong to that faction, so they're wrong and they're evil. Uh, instead, you know, we, we have to bring back the idea there's wisdom in hearing and compromise, you know, in, in, in the things that matter for the leadership of this country. So that's one. The, the other thing about how then does, it, does his cabinet do the do, does this new administration then begin this? It's simply by making those conversations, you know, of picking up that phone and calling, you know, the person uh, on the other side of the aisle and, and having a meeting, you know, sitting down over a lunch, you know, that used to happen. Again, those things I heard were disappearing. It is only in the listening and understanding, you're not the demon I thought you were, you know, facing that and understanding the differences that exist and that, you know, we're still Americans. We're still on the same team. I love it. America is uh, it's a hell of a country. We're all lucky to be here. And yeah, we're all on the same team. It's a good reminder. Exactly. Chip, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank Enjoy you so on the much, huddle. Mark. It was a pleasure. Next up on the huddle, we're joined with Adele Sears, who is a crisis communications ex- expert and has advised dozens of CEOs through many challenging and turbulent situations. Um, We really want to talk to her about the intersection between U.S. government, the White House, corporations, CEOs, and really how to communicate in this hyper-political environment. So Adele, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mark. Pleasure. What do you see? I mean, this has been such a historic week. Um, It's hard to believe it's only the, uh, you know, opening days of January. (laughs) Presidents and administrations, you know, they obviously hope to set the narrative set the communication for the week. Um, but a lot of situations, the White House, when it reaches them, it's problems that you know they never planned, they didn't expect or certainly hope they didn't have to plan for. What do you see some of the biggest challenges for Team Biden as we're opening this opening year of 2021? Absolutely. I mean, I think what we first should talk about is um, the culture is mirroring what we see, right? We mirror what we see as a culture. And so with the Trump administration, you saw a lot of inflammatory comments, a lot of reaction from people on a variety of different ways. And that sort of brings us into this idea of what's the neuroscience behind all these things? We closely mirror another person's actions, feeling, pain, empathy. And I think what you're seeing is like a neural reaction from some yeah. of these people who are you know, who are Trump supporters who, who really desperately do not want what happened with, you know, with Biden getting elected to actually take hold, right? So you're seeing this like huge resistance. And I think that triggering is something that the Biden administration is really going to have to, you know, tread lightly in dealing with, right? They're going to have to come out with the right voice, pitch, tone, cadence, like timing, that's going to be a really difficult 
um, battle, um, I think, from a, just a communication standpoint. So really exciting time to be in communications and political communications really <laughs> right now, right? I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. So um, I really like some of the Biden administration's already, um, their positioning, their messaging around, you know, you've heard Biden say, I'm everybody's president, regardless of who you voted for. Like you right. can see him just inclusive. starting to be inclusive, to be shifting the conversation more towards the middle, um, which I think is just so critical in creating just more of a balance. The idea of what's the corporate role, what are the association's roles, what are the industry roles? I think they have a role in creating more middle ground. And so if you're going to take a stand, it's more like how to create more inclusiveness. How do we have more people be heard? Because the reason why people storm a Capitol is because they're clearly angry. They're not being heard. Their, their voices are marginalized. And you saw that a lot um, in the narrative that the Trump administration has put forth. Can you talk a little bit about the, uh, the push and pull between internal communications, that is speaking to your employees and employees wanting to do something, and the external audience, your board, shareholders, et cetera, and uh, kind of the environment, the new communication environment for CEOs in this new bond administration? That's such a great question, Mark. I think what's really interesting is companies are probably experiencing um, microcosms of what has happened on the Capitol, right? Um, so, you know, you've got people within your company who are maybe, you know, supporters of Trump, who are supporters of Biden, who are coming to work <laughs> um, or even virtually working, right? And they have all of these underlying feelings that are not being expressed. And so as a leader, you're dealing with these like underpinnings. And it really is your job to bring that into the light. Because if you don't, it can really cause disruption in your productivity. It, it can cause disruption in your ability to get things done because people yeah. don't know where you stand. I'm curious about your expertise though in crisis communications. If you can kind of like peel back the curtain behind that and just your advice when you speak to corporations, trade associations about being obviously reactive to events, but also proactive and where the word crisis comes in there. Like what, are we in a crisis communication situation now? I believe we are. I believe we are. And I think a lot of corporations are because, you know, I think their employees, their customers, um, you know, political factions are going to be looking at how did a company respond to this? How did they say anything? Did they purposefully not say anything, right? So you've got to make a choice. Do you want to get out in front of this and be one of those people who is leading the way around how the country is going to move forward? Or do you want to be like a bystander? Now, I, I think there's not a right or wrong answer for corporations, right? I think it could be an either or. I mean, it's a big opportunity for some organizations who are willing to take just a little bit of risk maybe put a little skin in the game and say, hey, this is where we want to go. This is what we believe in. You saw some CEOs getting a lot of hot water when the Black Lives Matter movement came to a head, right? Right. And so you saw some CEOs like just dodge, not getting involved in the conversation at all. And then others who rose to the occasion. And the ones who rose to the occasion really got reward from that. You know, so I think... It's no longer possible for CEOs of multinational companies, global companies, to sit by the wayside if many of the people within your organization have an opinion on something. No, Dale, that's a good point because, um, you know, 
we all can't be Patagonia. I mean, Patagonia, you know, is on the front lines. And I I look back to the summer and just the Facebook boycott and all these, you know, multinational companies saying we're going to boycott our advertising on Facebook. And so two things, like, how do you, how should a company decide, like, this is the time for me to be more proactive? Mm -hmm. How do you like work out that kind of metric, you know, the metrics around that or the framework? And is it, I guess once you're in it, though, you can't really stop. I mean, you got to keep being a part of the conversation, so to speak. You do. So you have to be very intentional about whether or not you want to get in the conversation and when to enter. Right. So I think that's first. And then secondly, I think um, the corporation has to make a decision, right? They have to make a decision as to how relevant what is happening right now is to their brand. And the further away you get from the core relevance of the issue and how it relates to your brand, the less, um, the less likely you're going to be seen um, as a positive player in the conversation, right? You become more opportunistic. Companies are now, um, are now what we used to think of as religion, right? It's like um, our corporations are now the voice of the masses. And so as a corporation, it really is your job to step out when it's important. Are you going to be the corporation that's going to see it through? So whatever thing you come forward with, you are going to, as you said, right, you're going to be committed throughout the whole time, throughout the whole administration. So that's a different level of commitment than, hey, we're just going to get a little bit of attention to get a soundbite. Yeah. yeah. And as you, I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, as a crisis communication, as a communication pro, sometimes you're often a uh, psychologist, you're a coach, you know, when you speak to CEOs, you are a uh, a priest, you know, you hear all kinds of crazy stuff, not around communications. I'm just wondering any advice you have for, you know, future cabinet members as they go through the confirmation process and what to expect. I think it's going to be an interesting time, right? I think it's going to be an interesting time for everyone out there. I mean, I think as far as the cabinet members are concerned, I mean, I think they have to tread lightly, but I think they have to create a voice for themselves immediately. Because if they don't, that narrative will create, be created for them by the media. And so with Trump exiting and the Biden administration coming in, right now is the time at which they can kind of lay the foundation for who they want to be. You know, I think they've got to really pay attention to timing. They've got to really pay attention to what's going on. And they've got to choose their narrative carefully because that's going to be what they are remembered for. Thanks, Adele, for your guidance. Time will tell how these events will play out. Mark, these were some uh, great expert opinions. I think it's just further proof that the Biden administration is not walking down easy street when they arrive in D.C. in just a few weeks here. I think uh, this underscores why it's going to be so important for him to build a really strong, coherent, capable government. And that's what we, you know, that's what we keep seeing as as more names get added to the list for the uh, top officials in the new administration. Yeah, I know. It was great to hear from Chip and Adal and the expertise they bring. And no, you're right. I mean, we've all said it, all four of us, we are entering an age of hyper politics. We've got a Senate that's divided, you know, 50-50. The House majority is super slim. Uh, the presidency, uh, you know, a lot of speculation in D.C. that Joe Biden will be a one-termer. Um, you know, something like we've never seen before. You know, you've got literally a, a mob of American citizens that tried to take over the Capitol this week. Amazing time to be part of American history. So, you know, I've got to ask, we're all about inner circle analysis here at the huddle. Who do you want in your huddle this week? My pick 
is the ex-presidents. It's the most exclusive club in the whole world. We saw coordinated uh, timing-wise statements from Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and George Bush all condemning the attacks at the Capitol. I think uh, when it feels like you need someone behind you, those are three names that uh, I'd want in my inner circle. No, I totally, that's amazing. We're both on the same wavelength there. Um, I was going to say the ex-presidents myself, but I'm going to get a step further. I think we're at such a dramatic time in American democracy. It'd be great to get the losers of presidential campaigns. Hillary Clinton, Mitt Romney, Michael Dukakis, you know, Al Gore. I mean, really the continuity of government, the ability for the peaceful transfer of power is something that not only American citizens need to be reminded of and cherish, but the rest of the world needs to see that, hey, we're not messing around. This is a, certainly a dark time in our history, but you know, we have a long history of peaceful transfer of power the losers, the winners, we've all come together to move the country forward. I'd like to see the losers step up as well. You know, it's, it's during the elections, we spend so much time vilifying uh, the other side and that we sometimes forget that these people are great statesmen, that they don't step up to the plate to run for president of the United States without a resume of qualifications that outweighs uh, the average Joe. And so I, I think you've, uh, you've hit the nail on the head here. Uh, maybe that's a good place to wrap up for this week. I agree. Thanks again, Brandon, for putting this together. I think the huddles uh, doing an important job providing inner, inner circle analysis. I mean, really trying to understand what's happening. Um, you know, I think we'd all do really well this weekend to kind of step back. Remember that we're very fortunate to live in this country and, you know, give the Biden administration a, a, an opportunity to kind of move forward and, you know, Democracy is a cool thing. It never rests. Thanks for joining us. 